Hello, this is David Perlman for Conversations at the Whole Note. My guest today is Sterling Beckwith. Very pleased to have you here. It's great to be here, David. Mm-hmm. I'm a great fan of Whole Note. I think it's, it's what culture is all about, really. Thank you. We'll keep that one, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, May 13 and 15 is the immediate context for Good. this particular chat. Uh, Toronto Symphony Orchestra, Shostakovich 13, the Babiyar Babiyar Symphony. Symphony. And um, wanted you to come in to to talk about it, not just about it, but um, why you would want to talk about it. Well, which is more interesting, perhaps, even than just about it. It's an amazing uh, work, and um, I've been nervously and excitedly awaiting this uh, performance all year Mm -hmm. uh, as soon as I heard about it, Um, still wondering whether it's going to uh, live up in some ways. I'm sure the music will be wonderful and the the orchestra is marvelous, but uh, I'm wondering if it it will really connect with with our audience. Uh Uh, it's It's a piece that I've had a hankering to get connected to ever since I was privileged to be an exchange uh, research scholar in the Soviet Union way, way back uh, in the 60s. A few months, in fact, I arrived a month after the the first performance of this symphony in Moscow. Which was December December 18, 1962. That's correct. That is correct. And uh, I arrived in January of 63. Okay. I was assigned, this was a part of the official academic exchange, mm-hmm. uh, and I was, since my topic had to do with Russian choral culture, oh. I was at- attached to the choral department of the Leningrad, then Leningrad, now St. Petersburg Conservatory. Uh-huh. And... Uh, uh, I've soon found out that uh, the the, the uh, choir of the of the school was looking forward eagerly to participating in the Leningrad premiere of this of this new Shostakovich symphony, which, as you know, uh, was is one of the most unusual choral works ever written because yeah. it was written entirely for Russian basses. Right. And being a bass myself, uh, I was assured that I would probably be asked to join the chorus. And this was going to be a tremendous, unexpected uh, highlight of my uh, stay in in, the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. So, um, unfortunately, that that, uh, performance never took place. Let me let me yes. read something just yes. to, to set the scene. Uh, this is actually a review that Bruce Surtees, who writes for us, wrote uh, in uh, no, October 9, uh, 2014 um, 
the re-release of the the Kirill Kondrashin Moscow Philharmonic that was the first, the first one. performance. Yes, the first performance. So, so this is what he wrote, right. and it's interesting because it it tells. It, it tells the story to some extent, and then you can pick beautiful, it up from there. Beautiful. It says, on December 18, 1962, defying admonitions from Premier Khrushchev and the Soviet Presidium, the first performance of Shostakovich's 13th Symphony was given in Moscow and dutifully ignored by the press. The composer had set five of Yevgeny Yevtushenko's poems, including the recently published Babiar, the subject of which was anti-Semitism, and the well-documented wholesale massacre of Jews in Kiev by the Nazis in World War II. Further performances were banned until Yevtushenko altered the text, which he did, but not before December 20, when there was a repeat performance with the original text. And this CD with Kondrashin conducting and Vitaly Gromadsky performing Mm -hmm. was this particular recording. So that's a a brief synopsis of... Those performers, by the way, both conductor and soloist, were not the ones originally scheduled to do the premiere. Interesting. Uh, the, the, both the bass soloist and the conductor, uh, Mr. Moravinsky, a very well-known and uh, magnificent conductor, uh, eventually felt obliged to withdraw their services rather late in the day mm-hmm. from the world premiere, and Kondrashin and uh, Gromadsky were, were able to step in and so that it was a very much of a last-minute uh-huh. Uh, substitution, because the pressure apparently had already been on, on uh, ever since the poem itself, and of course it was all about the poem, not about the music. In this in this particular case, mm-hmm. I suspect uh, uh, most musical censorship, really in Russia at least, and probably elsewhere too, is really about the words. <laughs> About the words, <laughs> and uh, yeah. uh, but in this case, the words are the music. Okay, the music exists only and very powerfully to project those particular words mm-hmm. that Shostakovich himself assembled uh, after first uh, reading the the uh, the Babi Yar poem and realizing that this is something he wanted to set and setting it, and then saying, why don't I make this into a larger work, mm-hmm. uh, which he decided to call a symphony at some point. Uh, yeah. I was going to ask, uh, it's what, really, would, what would you call I th- it? I would call it a civic oratorio or something oh, like that, really. Uh-huh. Uh, but um, even that is, or, or, or cantat, something like that. It's, a, it's really for for a powerful male, uh, no nonsense singer to deliver the text, mm-hmm. backed up by a cheering section, and the choir mm-hmm. is really his his support, his cheering section. Occasionally, they take part in some of the. Uh, events that are being recounted. They, be, right. they become participants briefly. But most of the time they're commenting on it and a lot of the time they're simply echoing mm-hmm. and reinforcing 
or reinforcing what the uh, uh, singer is is actually saying. So they're really his his connection. And the whole idea, of course, is to say this is this is the people talking yeah. through the singer and and with the backup of this crowd of of other singers. So, so, so Shostakovich is out of the doghouse that he went into after Lady Macbeth of that was in thirty-six. And, uh, of Stalin all yes. the way back in thirty-six. He's out of the doghouse, and not he grabs this bone. Not and only starts is he to out of the doghouse, but the whole country is, in a way, beginning to feel that it is now entitled. It is now out of the doghouse. Uh-huh. The the thaw really was quite pervasive in many ways. And more kinds of things were happening culturally all over the place. And uh, you're right, Opus, this is Opus 113, Opus, the 13th okay. symphony. Opus 114 mm-hmm. is the newly revised and retitled version of Lady Macbeth. Oh, wow. Okay. Katerina Ismailova. So what possesses which, him? Which he was also able to, which was also able to be produced for the first time since 1936 in Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just that in that magic year of 62, also the year, by the way, that Stravinsky finally went home to Russia. And, and so did this get him in trouble again? It certainly did. It certainly did. Uh, the they. Uh, um, they, uh, of course, had compelled the, the revisions in the text that had to be made. But uh, what happened, I suppose, was that by the by the t- by the time of the Leningrad premiere, mm-hmm. they had not yet uh, you have to check, they had not yet complied. Mm-hmm. And I think, therefore, they said, okay, we're going to yank that. So in this performance we're getting, are we getting the original text? We're getting the original text. For the choir and the bass soloist? Yes, yes, we are. uh, However, the choir is going to be using a score which happens to have the doctored text for the soloist in it. Uh, because it was a, it, it's a score that was published later under official Soviet auspices. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the score that the orchestra is using was, was published in Germany uh, based on the score that was either smuggled out or somehow right. brought out at the time of the, of the Moscow premiere. Uh-huh. So the soloist for this one is who? He is a, uh, as, as far as I know, uh, he is a young, uh, rising young basso uh, who is now on the uh, on the roster of the Bolshoi Opera in Moscow. Okay. He's uh, he's and he's done a lot of good work. He's also, I believe, a graduate of my old alma mater, <laughs> Leningrad, mm-hmm. the St. Petersburg Conservatory. Uh-huh. As is the conductor. Andrei Boreko, who was trained in the same choral department that I uh, was earlier attached to. So I'm looking forward to meeting him for the first time right. and uh, maybe even uh, exchanging uh, now, I, I anecdotes. Listened, I, listened to, I listened to a version, I listened to a version of this uh, on YouTube with Gergiev and I've forgotten which orchestra. It wasn't Concertgebouw. Right. It was a European orchestra, and they were using the 
the, even at this point, they are, were using the censored text. I wouldn't be not surprised. The original. Wouldn't and I was surprised. wondering if that's, well, I don't know what that has, to, has I, to do with. I don't know either, and it'd be very interesting. And I, I, I'm assuming uh, that what I told you is correct, uh, because I know what score the conductor is using. Right. And I know what score the orchestra is using. Okay. But I don't really know what score the soloist thinks he's going yeah, to use. Interesting. And and I mean to just to fill in the context. I mean this is fairly yes. new to me. But my sense of it was that the the poem was originally written was was absolutely rooted in in the in you know uh, people of. The Jews, uh, it's Egypt, it's and and that the revisions had Absolutely. to do with more of a mother Russia, and it wasn't only That's Jews right. who exactly. died there. Exactly. And that was the main thrust of the revisions, at least. So that for the was first, where the agitation for the first came. Poem. And yeah. uh, and the second poem. It's it's interesting because uh, the, the 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 entire piece begins with this powerful statement. On Babi Yar, there are no monuments. Right. Which was true until 1976. Which was true for a, for a good while, but it isn't entirely uh, true that, that no attempt was ever made to commemorate it. Mm -hmm. I've, later, I've recently discovered. Uh, apparently, there were various efforts after the war uh, to come up with some kind of a suitable memorial mm. uh, within, within uh, the Ukraine uh, and various committees and, of architects and designers and sculptors or whatnot were assembled and argued over what it, what it should be. They couldn't apparently agree on something that was considered politically and ethnically and otherwise uh, uh, the way it should be mm -hmm. and so the thing never got built. So Babiar itself a ravine on the outskirts of Kiev, of Kiev right. over a three-day period in, in 1941, in September, right. the, almost the entire Jewish population of Kiev was rounded up, told that they were being resettled, Absolutely. and basically machine-gunned and then buried in this ravine, right. which then became a slaughterhouse for... Well, uh, 70, 80, 100,000 right. additional a of people. Of days, of, it, was the, it was one of the first. I'm not sure of the full chronology, but it yeah, certainly was one, one of the of first, the first uh, really mass mm. uh, massacres, of mass, mass murders of, of a, an entire huge accumulation of people, not just mm -hmm. local. There, was, there were a lot of little babiyars all over Russia, right. apparently, because... Uh, there was a wonderful segment on, on um, 60 Minutes not long ago about a, a marvelous French priest mm. who has devoted his life to going back to Russia and Ukraine and Moldova and trying to discover the sites where the local extinction of Jews was, was, was taken, mm. uh, took place and trying to contact the few elderly survivors who may have witnessed it or known about mm. where it was and, and identifying the locations and all of this business. It's an amazing work. I, th I, I think 
I, I was wishing almost that that segment of, of video from, from uh, 60 Minutes could be shown as a kind of a prelude to the performance of this piece to give right. some, the audience some sense that it isn't just another Shostakovich symphony that they're listening to, but mm -hmm. that there's a special thing. On the other hand, uh, I'd love to, to talk a little bit, if, if you have time, about the fact that the, although the symphony grew out of, the, out of the, that poem and out yeah. of that particular uh, very, very uh, powerful set of, of, of recollections, it's not, first of all, a portrait of the murder of okay. people. It doesn't really talk much about that. It talks about, it uses that as a springboard. But then there are the four other poems. Okay, so the five movements are Babi Yar, second movement is... Second movement is humor. Humor, yeah. Third? Following the, following the Holocaust, we have humor. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the, the opera composer's uh, uh, sense of timing coming in. Yeah. And then the, the, the third is in the store or at the store. Right. About, the, about what, what it takes to be a mother and a woman and, have, and what shopping was all about in the, in the good old days in the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, uh, and it's sort of a pean to the to to motherhood and to womanhood and mm -hmm. to the long suffering women of Russia. Uh, and then the, the fourth four. is is the the poem that Shostakovich himself uh, is said to have asked Yevtushenko to write once the vision of That's the right. overall piece had once that, fallen exactly. in place. And that one is is fears are dying. In Russia, fears are fears dying. are dying, and uh, then they go. It goes on to dis, to explain all the different kinds of fears that Russia had to, that Russians had to live through, uh, and uh, fear of talking to strangers, fear of talking to foreigners, fear of talking to your own wife, mm. fear of talking to yourself lest you be overheard and then going <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then it goes on and on and on uh, to a whole catalog of fears including some new fears which are a little bit more obscure but they 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 tend to to blunt a little bit the idea that, that they're all dying that they're all dying yes. uh, interesting so f the fear of, of speaking the truth as an artist Yes, some of that uh, is is at least implied. Right, at least implied. Because Brodsky, this is the time when Brodsky has been sent off to Siberia. Right? Was it really? I think so. I think that because Shostakovich and Yevtushenko both involved themselves in lobbying for I'm his release. I'm sure they did, and that was within a few years of this. It may I not. I guess. Have, so I mean, I that guess. would make it a little well, it, prophetic. You're right. right. It couldn't be that many years because yeah. Shostakovich didn't live that much longer. Right. And then the fifth movement. And the fifth movement is is a wonderful capstone to the whole thing, both musically and textually. It's about careerism, ah. and uh, about uh, in in effect, it compares the the great careers of 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 men of science and of of uh, daring 
who 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 risked everything, including mm-hmm. uh, uh, opprobrium, persecution, repression, and all of these things, mm-hmm. and certainly risked the disapproval and the the uh, punishment actually. Right to stick to their guns and to discover things that were not accepted mm-hmm. as appropriate or true. Uh, people like Galileo and, uh, uh, and some of the great writers, Shakespeare and all of these people. And mm-hmm. com- the, the comparison is between those people and the apparatchiks right. and uh, sellouts and, and uh, careerists uh, who flourished quite comfortably throughout the whole Stalin era, mm-hmm. uh, and who are who are flourishing just as comfortably today in Moscow mm-hmm. and in Washington, yeah. and maybe even in Toronto. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. So, so anyone listening to this so far is is potentially going to be left with the impression that this is. That this is some, you know, didactic music in the service of a message kind of thing, but it's not like that it's at all. As a piece of music, it's a giant bellow of yes, it is of of it's, itself. It's musically it's, an incredibly and powerful thing. If you take it all together, yeah, it's saying we have come. This is what living through the Stalin era as a Russian has meant. Mm-hmm. We've had a holocaust which we've tried to su- deny and suppress uh we've had uh we, we we the for the ordinary the ordinary person has has ordinary c- civilian so to speak the ordinary citizen has really had a rough time of it mm-hmm. in a in a sense they've been the victims of the of the system but they've also been the heroes of the system. Mm-hmm. And the real heroes have been the ordinary people who use humor to, to keep sane, right. who, who, who kept going with their pots and pans to the grocery store to bring home a little bit of milk and a little bit of, mm-hmm. of, of some pickles and whatnot to feed the family in the midst of famines and sieges and, and invasions and war. Not just Stalin, of course, they've survived, but they survived these horrendous the losses of the Second World War and, and everything that happened before Stalin even, the, the, the famine, the Civil War, the Revolution, all of these things Shostakovich himself lived through. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally, there was a time, things were, were beginning to melt enough so that you could look back at all of this and say, this is, these are the people who really need to be celebrated. We have endured. And there are several places in the piece where he says, absolutely underlining every note, we survived all this, we will survive all this. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, it's really that's that's uh, the ultimate m- message that I get out of the piece, mm-hmm. um, and, and as music, and, and the music it does everything possible to get that message across. The message mm-hmm. really comes from the text in a way that uh, no other work of his really does. It's the most outspoken in the, in the sense of textual mm-hmm. speaking speech almost. 
-hmm. And therefore, that has caused me a great deal of grief and work. Uh, How so? Because um, I was privileged to be invited by Lydia Adams oh, yeah. at, the, uh, at the very beginning of the season, way back in September, to come and help, as I have done in the past mm -hmm. with her group, uh, to help them master some of the intricacies of Russian pronunciation. Okay, and it's the Eislers and the Amadeus bases who That's are right. combining plus, to do plus the, some plus extra, reinforcements. Some reinforcements. Uh -huh. Not and easy I, to I, be Russians. I, I was think. hoping those reinforcements would come very strategically. Yeah. From the the Ukrainian choirs, the Russian choir. And the Jewish choirs, uh -huh. at least, uh -huh. that are in town, and that therefore the 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 concerts themselves would would be would you know we're going to hear our, we're going to hear our our boys sing so to speak. Yeah. Uh, that's of course the symphony's job, not mine and not Lydia's. So uh, uh, really, they, I, whether they're going to do that kind of outreach for in publicizing this thing remains to be seen. Uh -huh. So far, um, they haven't even mentioned in the little bit of publicity that I've seen on the internet, they haven't even mentioned the fact that there is a soloist, never, not to mention mm -hmm. who it is. Mm -hmm. But that, that I'm sure so will another, come. That yeah, will another come. topic, there's a month, there's a month and a half there's to go. There's a month and a half so to go. Let's there'll see. be some momentum But this. it's crucial because yeah. Uh, this, all of this heavily packed meaning that we've just talked about mm. is packed into a foreign language yeah. that most of the audience won't have a clue about. Yeah. And uh, the symphony isn't well known for using surtitles. Yeah, no, not likely. It's not likely like that this. they will, and I'm not sure they should because it is a kind of a distraction it can you, be, yeah. when you're listening to a, a symphonic piece. Yeah, but, but program notes is a different question. Program well, let, notes is, is okay. At I least mean, it's a minimum. the actual, the Nobody the actual reads text. Them. Oh, I do. While the thing is going? No, I no. try to do it ahead of time. Yes. When I go to the opera, I also just try to do stuff ahead well, of time. Well, they so. may read a little bit, but... Yeah. It, it, it's somehow a tough one, that hey? doesn't that doesn't really get the thing. So let's go back. Let's yes. go back to you. All right. In 1962. Yes. There I am. Yes. That was. A, how do, how do you happen to be on a choral exchange in 1962 well, while Khrushchev is hammering his incredible. shoes on the not only table at the shoes, United Nations? Not only hammering his shoes, but uh, placing his uh, missiles in Cuba yeah. pointed at the U.S. So how does that yes. come to be? And uh, uh, and there I was arriving in, and I discovered very quickly that. None of the young uh, Russians I, I started to I get to know had any clue yeah. that they had that the world had almost been destroyed. Where were you exchanging from? I was um, I was actually in Atlanta. You were in a Atlanta. Atlanta. Uh -huh. My first job, my first university job, was as director of choral music for Emory University, which is now the headquarters of Jimmy Carter and his whole right. operation. But in those days, uh, it had a music department that consisted of two. Oh, yeah. I was half of the you music department. Yeah. And uh, 
uh, it was a marvelous experience, and I had a wonderful time in the South, and I loved Atlanta. Uh, but I uh, applied for, uh, I wanted to do some research into, the, into uh, Russian choral, choral music, music because yeah. my undergraduate specialty uh, had uh, in at university had been Russian history, literature, and language, mm -hmm. and uh, and at the same time I was uh, I was moonlighting as a musician, right, and, and as a choral musician, and eventually the two interests the two things came, came together. together. Ah. I pers I pursued music after that rather than going into the some kind of spy work uh, <laughs> that I wasn't well suited for. Uh, uh, although the Russians may think otherwise, I'm not sure. But uh, in any case, uh, so this, the, uh, the, uh, um, I, 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 wrote, I wrote to the Ford Foundation and they gave me a special creative award to do, to do two projects, one of which was this yeah. uh, visit to Russia. And so I had a marvelous, marvelous opportunity to really go from the, get from the inside, yeah. and eventually I was able to branch out and visit other parts of the Soviet Union and, uh, and meet with Im important musicians and choral uh -huh. directors and whatnot, and, and hear wonderful music performed in Arme Armenia and in uh, Georgia. Mm -hmm. I was one of the people responsible, I have to claim this, although um, um, I shouldn't be bragging, one of the people responsible for the tremendous popularity of Georgian choral music oh. in, North, in uh, Canada and North America. Uh, I, was, I heard about it from some, uh, some of the leading uh, American musicologists, including my own uh, professor, who um, who said Georgia is a very special place, and then of course I heard about it a, a good deal once I got to the Soviet Union, mm -hmm. and I insisted on going there and had the most marvelous time meeting with musicians and hearing the having them sing for me and right. taping them and doing all kinds of things, and and uh, and came back. Totally, in, totally enchanted by this amazing music that sounded like a cross between I don't know the latest avant-garde uh, harmony yeah. and uh, the fourteenth century po yeah. polyphony and goodness knows everything in between, and it was folk music and they sang it with tremendous gusto and with large yeah. drafts of Georgian wine, and yeah. uh, it's it's amazing music as you know. Uh, I brought it. I brought it back and started playing it for people. One of the people I played it for was um, Noah Greenberg, right? Who at that time was head of the New York Pro Musica Antiqua and was really the at the forefront of the whole early music movement in North yeah. America. And he was about to go off on a on a uh, concert tour to Russia. Uh, as part of the this whole cultural exchange, which included the academic exchange that I was on, yeah. and Stravinsky's visit, and the Robert Shaw Chorale, which, right. which galvanized the whole Russian choral scene, and Glenn Gould, and lots of other All things. All that stuff. So, uh, Greenberg did play of Daniel at the cloisters right. back in those yes, days. Yes, he did. Yeah. And he did go to, to Russia, and he did go to Georgia, and met the same people I did, who right. then became his guides 
throughout the whole of, right. of the Soviet Union. And he came back absolutely raving. And we, we met after he returned once, before he, di he died rather soon, unfortunately, after that. But we met once and we both more or less shook hands on the fact that we were going to both learn Georgian mm -hmm. and create a whole new Georgian uh, right. choral movement in, in North America. He was totally captivated by Which it. Which manifests in Toronto in groups like exactly. Darbazi and, and all of and those so people on, yeah. and uh, Alan Gasser and all of yeah. those folks. So how close did you come to meeting Shostakovich that time? I was, uh, he, I certainly heard him perform yeah. live and I saw him sitting in the audience of some, uh, at some rehearsal that I went to, uh, yeah. but uh, I never actually said shook his hand you or never, anything like that I would be afraid to. Uh, huh. I didn't know what, what I would say to him, but he was there. So let's cycle back yes. again to 13th so, and so the see, 15th. So this, so that this symphony is, is still is something that I've it's felt. It's personal. It's personal this is to personal. begin with. Yeah. And also that the, the, the nature of, of what it's saying is very personal. Yeah. And... Uh, and then it happens also to dovetail with something I've been doing for the last 50 years, yeah. which is trying to <clears throat> make it easier for people who have no knowledge of the language yeah. to perform some of the Russian choral repertory in the original language yeah. and make it sound reasonably, reasonably good yeah. and reasonably Russian. And I devised a kind of a simpler, simplified transcription system in order mm -hmm. to make that possible. And I've been tinkering with that and publishing it and using it in, uh, with, the, uh, with various groups, the, the, uh, the Mandelson, Toronto Mandelson Choir mm -hmm. and the Amadeus people and, and a number of choirs in Canada, in, in uh, Hamilton and... Oakville and other places, and in the in the U.S., and I published a choral series actually using that method for a while, and uh, so th this was a natural. Here is a piece which, which is nothing without the text. Yeah, and in which the text is uh, is is fated to be in Russian, and in which this special group of of uh, of. Of uh, uh, singing men is going to have to quickly learn mm -hmm. how to make a, a, a creditable performance as the backup group, so to speak, the cheering section for the, for soloist, the soloist. You cannot just um, you cannot just mumble a sort of an approximation of yeah. what the soloist just sang. Yeah. You have to be able to to really be one of his boys, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Sound, you have to sound as real and as Russian as he sounds. Yeah, well, the and canyon to, has to echo, that's not, it. not and to, to translate. Do that, to do so. that in one or two rehearsals tough. Is, is going to be tough. So, in, in, yeah. so that's in where my system comes in. Yeah. Besides my, my his, history, the system also uh, comes in, yeah. and the two sort of converged, and I said, this piece... They've got to use They've me. They've got to get it right. And fortunately, it was it was Lydia who invited me. Otherwise, yeah, yeah. I would have bugged her until she did. <laughs> this is fantastic. <laughs> so, yeah. 
starting to wrap yes, because uh, because people yes. won't people won't listen if we That's go right. too long. No, I'm going um, too long. The the hope would be that following the the nature of the movements in the piece itself that something like this can't afford to just be a careerist performance. It's got to get beyond just being the trappings of a symphony to saying this is actually a monumental occasion to to live something through How do you the do music. That? How do you How do, do you that? Do that? A, How do we all with a foreign do that? language work? Yeah. And uh, of course we've come a long way thanks to Toronto. Mm-hmm. Thank, thanks to uh, Lotfi and uh, the whole idea of super titles and surtitles. Yeah. We've come a long way uh, in in our ability to present works that are that are really deeply enmeshed in their native tongue mm-hmm. in a way that an ordinary American audience can, can handle it. Yeah. The problem in, in with, with, with Russian is um, that just merely transliterating mm-hmm. the Russian text does not give you uh, even, an, even a reasonably correct rend- rendition, let alone a, an idiomatic one, mm-hmm. because uh, uh, the Russians think that their alphabet mm-hmm. is phonetic, but it isn't. Right. And so that unless you actually know Russian to begin with, yeah. you can't read the transliteration properly, let right. alone read the original. So and the score that came from German has done an approximation a, into somebody who's got umlauts in well, the brain. That's true. And you, but it's a perfectly it's decent a good transliteration. One, yeah. But for not, a German speaker. For a German speaker, yeah. or for uh, that's right. And we yeah. could have used it with a lot of ad- adaptations and corrections. Yeah. Known this really a kind means of that Rosetta Stone in exactly. version of the. So thing. I yeah. came up with this system. This it remains to be seen whether whether my uh, um, ego will be satisfied with this thing, or, yeah. or whether my system may also bomb. I'm not yeah. sure. But I see this as the great apotheosis of this system that I've been working on for 50 years. And And I hope it works. And people should take note of the concerts and get out to them. And open themselves to the experience. And of course, that's that's the other interesting question for all of us, I think. Uh, Will the the work mean enough, carry enough, because of the music? Mm Mm-hmm. Which I don't think about very much, really. I'm so yeah. so obsessed with the textual issues. Yeah, and I've just been listening the to the music, and yeah. it, it grabs it in the same way yeah. as well. You know, it's, it, it's really it's really yes. interesting because um, strange analogy or comparison to make, but in the same way as something like Songs of the Auvergne uses about the same pitch range yes. as right. the person around the campfire could. It, it's embedded a in, more, uh, yes. in, in, but it's embedded in yeah. an accessibility to make the That's sounds right. that is human rather than artistic. I think that's a marvelous observation. And uh, there's something I else think it's too. worth there's getting something out else to. I'd love to say if I, if you can give me sure. another moment. Sure. The the ability to uh, to accept and 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 absorb works 
that are foreign, that, it, that, that, that come from a foreign context and that speak to that context. Uh, nothing speaks more to a, the specific context uh, than this work, and yet, therefore, I think it's also more universal, as so often happens mm-hmm. in the arts. But that's what the arts are for. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, uh, the ability to, to uh, just say, yes, of course, I'm going to go hear this symphony, it's in Russian, and that's going to be part of my experience. Yeah. Not to say, well, it's not my language, I can't, I don't, I don't we don't do that, we're, we're Canadians, you know. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a, a, the, the core of what a real education is supposed to do for you. Mm-hmm. I've been very, very lucky in having that kind of an education, and I've been very lucky in being getting paid for most of my life to deliver that kind of education. Mm-hmm. But it's not a kind of education that um, that is very, very much uh, popular these days, mm-hmm. and it doesn't lead to a job, unfortunately. But it may lead to Roy Thompson Hall on May the 13th it and should. the 15th. It should. Right. It leads to being able to share any culture as being part of your own. Yeah. What's mine is yours, and what's yours is mine. Mm-hmm. And nothing human is foreign to me. That's the result of... That's the kind of education that I think everybody needs. That's why the arts should be required courses in all of these schools that are busy training people for jobs. Uh, Otherwise they're not getting an education. And let's hope the humanities and the arts come back to their rightful place as the key to to, uh, the survival of the human race from here on in, because otherwise I don't know where we're going. There we go. Thank you. And thank you. Okay. Bye-bye.